This is the Scoop Duck Podcast. Scoop Duck Podcast. Scoop Duck Podcast. Every game. You are going to go back to throw the ball. Sets up, looks, throws toward the corner of the end zone. It is intercepted! Intercepted! The next time the ball! Every story. If we just continue to push and grind and go and take care of our guys, it's going to be built to last. The Scoop Duck Podcast. Scoop Duck owner, Justin Hopkins. And Matt Bagley from 96.1, 580, the game. We got Pac-12 football to talk about. It's about dang time. I'm tired of these powder puff games, you know. I'm tired of these easy, easy Auburn games, these easy Montana games, these easy Nevada games. Let's get to the real stuff. Right, right. So, Ducks lose to Auburn to start the year. And I hate to bring that up. I know you grimace as I say that. They then beat Nevada in a drubbing. Right. What do you think about that Montana win? Uh, you know what? That is the, to me, that's the median of the first two games. You had a loss that you should have won. You know, you showed that you are a respectable football team. Right now, Auburn's sitting at 3-0. and So, I've, you know, clearly they're, they're not an awful team at this point in time. Uh, the Nevada performance, one of the best I think I've seen in a while. Understanding it's Nevada, I get that. But just the way Oregon... Uh, was so convincing on both sides of the football. I mean, literally just, you know, the the, the offensive firepower, um, the way the defense, uh, you know, playing two, three deep and, and held like they did. I thought that Nevada game was one of the better games I've seen Oregon play in the last three, four years, really. I agree. Uh, understanding it's Nevada. So then I, I watch Montana and I think, okay, you know, Oregon's supposed to win, you know, favored by a bunch of points. Um, you know, they did win. They had some big plays, had some moments that it looked like they'd probably like to have back. Uh, you know, defensively, once again, another big performance there from them. That's becoming the norm that we just expect. So right now it's really almost like we're grading the offense anymore, you know, what they're doing and what we're seeing. And I thought it was, uh, again, I thought it was right in the middle. It wasn't as, as bad as Auburn, uh, at least Auburn second half, if you will. And and it, it certainly wasn't to the level Nevada. The point of emphasis for me, and and you hit on this, talking about the speed of the defense, guys flying around, especially in that Nevada game, do I wish that the Justin Herbert and the passing game lit it up against Montana and scored five more touchdowns? Yeah, I do. Yeah. But that's not going to be the difference in a Pac-12 title race. Right. They can have a good offense even without a, a, a name recognition at wideout where they really need to take that leap to yeah. contend for a Pac-12 title is we need to see this defense play fast and play violent. And I think we're seeing that this year with what Andy Avalos has installed. I think what we see is we see a defense that's, that's definitely at the upper tier of, of the Pac-12. It might even be the best. I, you know, it's, it's really I, – I, I feel like I'm a homer saying that, but I don't believe that's the case this year. I genuinely see a defense that's very disciplined, very focused, doing a lot of things really well. With the offense, I see an offense that is probably at the upper end of the Pac-12, but by no means the clear, you know, top dog by any means. And you see moments where it's like, man, this is the offense. If they put, I guess my point is, you put it all together, you got a hell of a football team. Yeah, I think right now Oregon's up near the top, but they haven't done enough offensively to to push themselves. You know, hey, you know, Oregon's the clear above Washington. Oregon's clear above. Utah, whatever. I think they're right there. They just haven't done anything to elevate themselves 
above them yet, in my opinion. It's going to be interesting to see how that Duck team matches up with the one they'll face in Palo Alto this weekend. Uh, we've got two great guests that will help us break that down. RJ Abetia is a Stanford beat writer for thebootleg.com. Yeah. That's a, uh, I love that name, by the way. It's a great name. It is yeah. a great name. It I, really is. I was thinking about it like Stanford-themed. Mm-hmm. You've got the Elway connection. Yeah. And and that's probably Elway's most famous play. Right, right. No, I just I love I think I think it's a terrific name. I don't know RJ. We're going to get to know him on on the podcast later on. Uh, I'm excited about that. Excited to hear about Stanford. They've got a lot of injuries. Uh, getting Costello back. I know he'll give us some great insight that really you know you and I won't know the inner workings of that team like him. So I'm excited for that. But before we get to that, I just I think we should just put a little bit of a bow on Montana. We'll have QB11 on, yeah. who's been doing those Twitch rewatches and you know understands a lot about football, just to kind of see what he's seeing and and the differences and and rather than interviewing him, kind of be like a you know just kind of a group discussion for us three, just you know uh, kind of kind of put a bow on Montana and then we'll get RJ on it and uh, and get the get the big game right. Right, and people that listen to this pod, they know when we bring on QB11, that guy is a blast. Yes. Just, just knows more about the game than you or I can ever learn, and uh, always an insightful read, by the way. Yeah, yeah, it, it's great to read his stuff, to watch him on, on Twitch, and then, you know, like you said, it's it's nice to hear him bring up some things that, that the, you know, standard fan, naked eye, probably aren't seeing. That way you go and watch it next week, you go, oh, now I see what he's talking about. Right. You know, it's about education, and that's it's a really important part of, of life, but it's 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 great for this, you know, entertainment part of life, too. So, so you have a couple more things from the Montana game that you want to hit on. Uh, well, let's bring on QB and we'll just all hit on them together. Other okay. than, I, I think I've hit on everything. They won like they were supposed to win. Uh, definitely wasn't the performance that I felt Nevada was. But again, all you can ask is that the team wins and escapes relatively healthy out of there. Right. Looks like there was one casualty and Jake Hansen probably won't see him play center this week. Uh, but Thomas Graham, Juwan Johnson should be making his debut. Um, you know, Oregon's, you know, escaped relatively well out of that game. Um, you know, going to miss Jake Hansen's a great player, but obviously Calvin Throckmorton's a, a, a great, he, he played great at center last year. I have no doubt that he'll do it again this year. And, you know, with offensive line being seven, eight, nine guys deep, you know, it, it's, I don't want to say it's plug and play because that's not fair to Jake Hansen, but it, it's fairly plug and play. Right. He's a guy that's starting to get first round looks for the NFL draft. But like you said, seven to nine deep. Yeah. And, and this is where the emphasis in recruiting really comes to harvest. We've seen the Ducks prioritize their time, prioritize their energy, prioritize their their resources, everything they have towards building on the lines. Yeah, Kayvon Thibodeau. Uh, I, I look at the other side. I still drool over the uh, the Jonah signing yeah. and Omave and the freaks on the O line that Mario has got to buy yep. into this program and. Now you need to tap into that. Now right. you need those guys to put a helmet and a chin strap on and get ready for Saturday, and that's okay. Well, and it goes back to the really the most valuable part about the last two games is you know this isn't going to be whether it's Stephen Jones that gets out there. This won't be his first start, and he's had meaningful snaps all three games this year. Yes, uh, even if it's and last year, yeah, and even if it's Sala, the JUCO transfer that comes in. He's had meaningful snaps this year, um, hasn't started per se, but that's where those snaps the last two games come in, uh, you know, very handy. And for a time like this, you hate to throw a guy out there 
hey, your first live snaps are against Stanford. Good luck. You know, Oregon doesn't have to worry about that. Makes a big difference. Makes yeah. a huge difference. Yeah. All right, man. QB 11. Let's talk some X's and O's. Have a little fun. And look at Oregon versus Stanford. He's QB 11. Has some really insightful writing on Scoop Duck. A great uh, read there. Also just fun to chat with him. Had him on the pod a couple times now. QB I asked this question to Justin at the start of the pod. Ducks spank Nevada two weeks ago and then come back and you you have a good showing against Montana, but a lot of fans clamored for more. How do you see that Montana game? What was your takeaway? Yeah, it was interesting because in the lead up, Montana had been one of the faster offenses in the country in regards to um, plays per game, and they really slowed it down and kind of bled the clock when they had the ball and in regards to Oregon, we just kind of uh, we didn't execute at key points in certain drives, and I don't know that there was necessarily we we might have been a little bit flat to start the game, but um, execution wise, we we blocked well. Um, we handled there was the second three three five defense in a row where they ran some stacks and um, a lot of stunts and twisting up front, and we picked up the the protections pretty well for the most part, um, except for the notable one where Herbert got out and made that awesome touchdown throw, but. Um, in general, I thought it was a pretty clean game. Uh, would have been nice to hold them scoreless, but uh, from an Oregon perspective, maybe it's a little flat, and the drops killed a couple of drives along with some penalties. Uh, that was a great point. I, I hadn't really thought about that, but you know, we, we've heard Mario Cristobal talk about taking the air out of the ball. Like you said, Montana may be doing that just to slow the game down and not see it get out of hand uh, like Oregon did to Nevada. Uh, one thing I want to ask is, you know, 77 points versus Nevada, um, you know, mid-30s there against Montana. And, you know, like you said, just sort of flat, maybe some lack of execution on certain plays. Did you see anything else? Was there a notable difference between, uh, you know, the way the offense ran from Nevada and the way the offense ran versus Montana? Not necessarily in play selection. We've been running a lot of the same RPO concepts, a lot of inside and outside zone. Um, you haven't seen a lot of gap schemes yet in the run game, like counter, trap, those types of things. Um, it's just been pretty vanilla, and I don't think that we really ran anything that we didn't run against Auburn. So I think that they're probably saving the offense for for uh, some of the Pac-12 opponents for the most part. Uh, I don't know about you. I, I think we're on the same page here. Uh, but defensively, uh, I mean, Oregon, uh, I don't know. But it, Oregon's looking as good defensively as I think we've seen them look in a long time. What, uh, you know, what are you kind of seeing? You know, we're just kind of, I believe we're scratching the surface of the Andy Avalos defense. I don't think we've seen everything he wants to throw out there yet either. But what's kind of been your take on the defense so far through three games? Oh, it's awesome to have good players, isn't it? Um, <laughs> we've got way more depth, way more talent. I mean, we've got three edge players that are probably three of the four best edge players we've had in the last decade and a half with Funa, Thibodeau, and, I mean, Young and Johnson are both awesome players. I mean, Johnson struggles with some inconsistency. Young is fantastic in the run game. He's got a little bit to work on as a pass rusher. But um, just in general, the athletes, the Jimmys and Joes, are way better than we've had previously. Uh, the only thing that this defense is missing that maybe, like, the national championship defense had was the Eric Armstead and DeForest Buckners of the world, the big, lengthy five-tech guys who can rush the passer from the inside. And really, it's because those guys just don't grow on trees. But even watching the uh, freshmen get in the games later, you're seeing the the interior freshman defensive linemen are far more ready to play than what we've been getting the last couple of years um, into the last decade. So uh, I think you're seeing a lot of a lot of talent, 
and then a scheme that really focuses on eye discipline because you're not seeing us. Uh, if you go back and watch Brady Hoke defenses or Don Pelham defenses, guys just missing gap assignments, and we were always asking, is it the coach's fault that we're not executing or are the guys just not picking up on it? But you're not seeing that here. The communication is really crisp. Um, you're not seeing guys out of position. The leverage is good when you're tracking the ball for the most part outside of a couple times where uh, some of our safeties take bad angles. But just in general, I think the defense is going to get more complex over the coming weeks. You're going to see more pressures. You're going to see a lot more stemming. Um, all you've really seen out of Oregon, in regards to stemming, for those who don't know, it's uh, the shift in alignment pre-snap for the, for the defensive tackles so we can go from an odd to an even front or just move plus or minus one gap with the defensive tackles that gives the defensive or give the offensive front a different look and add some complexity to them, especially if they're doing man schemes. You've got moving bodies all over the place. So I think we're going to see more of that, especially against a team like Stanford that takes a lot of time pre-snap. I think we'll Mm -hmm. see a lot more movement from our guys to give them something to think about. And the and the purpose of that just to dumb it down, you know, I I'm I know what you mean, but to dumb it, and that's to dis, just to confuse and disguise what you're trying to do defensively. Is that you know the idea behind that? Yeah, I mean, maybe to disguise. Sometimes it's just moving a shade, but what it does is like you, the same thing you see with our offensive line is pre snap. They're communicating their responsibilities and pass protection or in the run game as to who's who's getting who, how the zone pass off blocks are going to work and. When you move those bodies up front, it changes the picture for the offensive line. It changes the picture for the quarterback and the running back. And it doesn't, maybe they don't have time before the snap to, to re communicate. So um, it gives opportunities where guys get jumpy and maybe they'll jump off sides and, and commit a false start penalty. Or um, the even better thing is it creates opportunities for penetration with, with miss, missteps by the offensive line. Earlier, you talked about how proud you were of the Oregon offense playing clean, playing fundamental against two, three, three, five defenses. Walk me through what what you see as some of the obstacles a team might face against that front. Well, it's a front that you don't see very often. I mean, especially in the Pac-12 Power 5 teams. I'm not saying it's gimmicky, but it's not. I don't know that it's something that you could run um, at a super high level of the Power 5. Um, but especially when they stack those linebackers, right? So you've got the three-man front and the linebackers stacked behind. There's a lot of different blitz packages with, with six guys in the box, especially in that stack formation where they, they're basically just moving in different directions all the time. And, um, it makes it tough, especially if you have running backs that are young and aren't great in protection or um, if your tight ends don't pick up things or if your quarterback isn't good at finding hot because – a lot of times it's going to be six versus five, and they're twisting and moving all over the place, and so it creates uh, complexity for your offensive line to decode. And we've done a good job. Our running backs, for the most part, have done a good job. There's been some mistakes, but um, as people have been with the rewatch, the rewatches we've been doing weekly, um, I think what you'll find is that the mistakes are often made by young guys who haven't haven't been exposed to it, to as much ball. So, like you saw Stephen Jones against Nevada, um, look inside and have a guy come clean and. You saw running backs maybe maybe peak, and those are the things that that defense provides, and that's why you run it when you have maybe a little bit less of the blue-chip talent because it gives you um, opportunities to be disruptive. But it also creates opportunities for big plays if they pick it up. So Now, I don't want to segue to Stanford just yet, but I, I'm based on that, what you just said about the 3-3-5 and, and the, you know, the two defenses, you know, Oregon seen back-to-back now, that's not what Stanford does. They're just pretty much line up and here we come. Is that 
you know, somewhat fair to say, or, or what will Oregon see more of this week with Stanford's defense? Uh, Stanford's going to, I mean, typically in the past, again, I haven't watched a ton of Stanford film this, uh, this week because I'm actually out of town. I'm in Wisconsin for the Wisconsin-Michigan game. Um, but Stanford in the past has been an odd front. They've played a lot of two gaps, so you're going to see they're going to have less weight on their front hand and the defensive front, and they're just going to want to just want to control the line of scrimmage and, and stack our tackles. I mean, good luck with the tackles we have, but we'll see <laughs> how that works out for them. And they're going to they're going to play more of a, a basic three four odd front, and then their nickel package will be a four two five because um, they're going to want to keep as many bodies around the line of scrimmage as possible. Um, so schematically, Stanford is going to be a lot more standard than what we've seen. And based on the history, um, teams that give us trouble are the, the, the Washington States of the world, the teams that have a lot of movement yeah. and they utilize quickness and diversity of, fr- of fronts and, um, and, uh, and, and blitzes to cause problems. And teams that want to just line up and play head up and try to out-physical us are the teams that really make it easy for our offense because if you just want to play bully ball, you're going to get bullied. That's uh, that's pretty crazy to think about that as Oregon as I an know. Oregon offense. I, I was I was <laughs> just thinking surreal. of that of like twenty years ago how the, the the polar opposite would be true. Yeah, a team would just smash I mean, even you ten out. years ago. Yeah, yeah. even ten. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, I'm gonna we're gonna get you out here, uh, but I've got a, a little a small series of questions that are gonna be a little bit more rapid fire. Um, so I'll just kind of ask him quick, you know, Justin Herbert, what have you seen so far? Seems like he's settled in a little bit to me. I think he's making some better reads and throws these last two games and maybe the first game. What do you see there? Yeah, he certainly, um, the RPO game, I think he's really grown and matured in that role. Uh, he's, he's managing the offense while he's not turning the ball over. The things that I'd like to see going forward for him in terms of like an immediate improvement is against splits when there's a free man he needs to account for that guy and find his hot receiver or, or get out of the pocket and throw the ball away uh, there's been too many sacks that we've taken this year where there was opportunities to get the ball out uh running backs i know some fans are frustrated with the run game is that the running backs is it the o-line is it you know is it execution you know what are you kind of seeing from the backs are they are they as limited as we think they might be or is there still some meat on the bone there yeah, well, we're certainly leaving meat on the bone. I think I don't think it's an offensive line issue. I think we've blocked it pretty well. I think what you have is you have a stable of running backs who are all solid, decent players, um, but they all they have one thing that they do well, and uh, they're missing the complete package. So with Travis Dye, you have a guy who's a really good runner. He's quick, but he, he doesn't carry a very big stick, so it doesn't take a whole lot to bring him down. So yards after contact aren't going to be there, whereas Verdell, you have a guy that kind of drops his head, and sometimes he misses the cutback or the lane, and doesn't run with the same discipline that die does and so basically you have a group of you have a group of solid running backs but is it the group that we've had over the last decade with, with the royce freemans the byron marshall the kenyon barners the michael james the garrett blunt's probably not quite the same caliber so i don't think it's on the offensive line by any stretch of the imagination so with that the offensive line i know some folks are just expecting them to line up and knock everybody back five yards every game all game long uh, you know, I think this has been Oregon's most consistent and best performing group so far this year, although defensive line is a close second. What do you see from the O-line? Oh, I think they've been tremendous. And I think the only times that there's been, obviously they, they make mistakes. They're not a perfect unit by any stretch of the imagination, but physically they're not getting beat. I mean, even there was a couple times, obviously, against Auburn with Derek Brown that you got guys just getting smoked off the ball, mostly Warmack or the, whoever the right guard was because that's who they wanted to isolate Brown on. But um, in general, they're winning their one-on-one matchups. We're we're doing a fantastic job in combo blocks, getting to the second level and sitting. Um, when tackles for loss are made, they're generally bringing extra bodies down that we can't account for, and um, 
that's just that's the nature of the beast. You have a really good run game. Teams are gonna they play football too. They have coaches that get paid, so they're gonna come down and try to stack the box and stop it. Which is where we need to make more plays downfield to capitalize. Uh, my last one there in this series is wide receivers. I think they've been as good as you can absolutely expect from the injuries. Juwan Johnson's likely back this week. You know how are you feeling about that group entering Stanford? I think that uh, Coach Bo is certainly earning his paycheck. They're far better route runners. They're way better stock blockers. And something that to consider for Duck fans, you haven't been watching the rewatches, is that uh, with the, with the rule changes, cut blocks have essentially essentially been eliminated from the game on the edge, and so makes it tough for some of our smaller receivers to square up and stay in, stay frontal on guys and get physical. But they've all done it. Uh, even Jalen Red, he's made some mistakes, but um, Delgado and Addison and all those guys have. They've stepped up. They're better route runners than we've seen in the past, and they, they're making the plays that are there for the most part, especially Johnny Johnson, who's uh, had the yips last year and struggled to catch the ball, seems to have really turn the corner. Uh, just so fans know, uh, QB's talking about the rewatches he's been doing on Twitch, and I informed him about an hour ago that we will be able to embed those moving forward onto Scoop Duck. Hell yeah. As a main story. So That's awesome. Yeah, we'll, we'll start incorporating that a little bit better. Um, it's been highly, highly educational for those that do watch. I know QB uh, bought some equipment. He's trying to streamline how he's doing those, but they've been tremendous. I think this week's obviously will probably be one of the best ones so far. So make sure you guys tune in for those, and we definitely appreciate you doing those. I want to send you out on this. Uh, Michigan, Wisconsin, who you got? Oh, I'm, uh, I'm here with a bunch of families, so uh, I'm going to go with the Badgers. Uh, let's go 28-13. Ooh, Ooh wow. Yeah. And that one's, a, I don't know. I mean, I, that's one of my five games of the week. Actually, I have more than five, but that's one of my games of the week. And I noticed that they that Wisco's a three-and-a-half-point favorite, and I think that's easy money in my opinion. But what do I know? That's Yeah, be- well, I mean, it's going to be, uh, Madison's going to be crazy. They're going to have 85,000 fans in there. Uh, the Wisconsin defense is yet to give up a point this season, so I don't know that the, Michigan offense with how anemic it's been. It's supposed to be a new look with an offensive coordinator, but I think uh, Jim Harbaugh just can't relinquish control of that unit, and it's going to be a problem for them until he's gone. Yeah, I see 50-14 to 14 personally. I think Wisco is going to roll, but Ooh. we'll see. Yeah, that'd be good. Michigan's got some talent on defense, but I think Jonathan Taylor is certainly going to make some plays. Stud. He's a stud. I don't trust that guy yeah, wearing really the khakis. Excited. Yeah, so Oregon could definitely use a Jonathan Taylor. <laughs> oh my gosh, if we had Jonathan Taylor, we would have ran for 500 yards last weekend. No doubt, no doubt. Well, QB, uh, enjoy your week out there and enjoy the game, and thank you again for, for all you do. Yeah, absolutely. I'll talk to you guys later. Yeah, I don't trust that guy wearing the khakis for Michigan. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm with you guys. That should be a Wisconsin blowout. But uh, three and a half points. I read that, I'm like, Three and a half? Are they missing a one in there? But that, nope. that, that might be worth a drive to Lincoln City this weekend. Yeah, yeah. Huh. Um, there's there's a couple that, you know, I don't normally pay attention to the line. I'm not a betting guy, but okay. I wrote them down today. And there's a couple that I'm like, mm, I might need to put some money down somewhere here. Yeah. This, this, just at least on paper. But we'll talk about that later. Right, right. Pay, pay our tribute to the tribes yeah. and see what happens. <laughs> um, QB11, love having him on. Real yep. insightful. I, I can't wait for the day when you no longer have him on Scoop Duck and we no longer can get him on the pod because he's like a big wig at right. Pac-12 right. Network or ESPN or yeah. somewhere. Yeah, you know, helping Yogi or doing something along those lines. No, right. terrific insight. Um, you know, I don't think he's going anywhere any soon. I, I know he enjoys doing this, but I think he enjoys doing it as a hobby, which is one of the ways you get to keep enjoying doing it. 
you know, so no great insight there. Uh, you know, I love what he had to say, uh, you know, particularly in the rapid fire series when we we're kind of going the off over the offense a little bit, because I agree with a lot of what he said. I think a lot of fans might be frustrated with the run game, but are quick to blame the offensive line. And I just don't know that that's fair. And, um, you know, I don't know. I, I, I think what he said about the running backs was, was pretty fair. You know, mm-hmm. I think they're good. They're not elite. Um, and I, I, you know, I mean, obviously they're doing a good enough job for this offense to put up points. But again, if you're counting on, you know, Verdell or Die to shoulder the load and, and throw up 200 yards and, and be a you know game changer, uh, I, I just don't know that that's going to happen. That's not who they are. Yeah. No, I, I think that when, when Verdell took the starting role from TBJ, mm-hmm. I think that was the, the biggest misconception Duck fans had is – we thought, well, Verdell is a playmaker. Verdell's a better playmaker, and that's right. not necessarily the case. I think the coaches gave Verdell that job because he's a lot more consistent. Yeah. TBJ was the playmaker. Verdell's going to be the guy that gets you four. Yeah. No, you're right. Consistency and you know the other thing is blocking. That's huge for Mastro. If you don't block, you don't play. Right. right. And uh, you know, I and Verdell give Verdell and Dyke both a lot of credit for that. They are a big part component of that. Uh, in the offense but again if, if you're just expecting Herbert to turn around and hand it to them and them to pick up six seven yards every time you know they're not Todd Gurley they're not Nick Chubb you know they're just you know they're not Najee Harris they're just they're not that guy they're not Jonathan Taylor <laughs> they're, yeah they're not Jonathan Taylor that's for sure yeah no so anyways no I thought it was great analysis and it helps us kind of you know in my mind that kind of helps us put a bow on what we've seen through three games I think it I don't want to say it's been the good, bad, and the ugly, but it's been something along those lines as far as the games go. It's been the you know kind of the the good and the okay and the mediocre, if yeah. you will. You it, know? it hasn't been ugly since no. the Hail Mary pass in Dallas. Yeah, no, it hasn't been ugly. So, uh, but now we, it's real football time. That's right. how I see it. I right. mean, not that Auburn wasn't that was, but this is Pac-12 play. This is Stanford. This is a, a, a known opponent. Um, you know, uh, always, always a different ball game when you're playing somebody from within your conference and as banged up and maybe not as impressive as Stanford has been this far. It's still Stanford. Yeah. David Shaw is a hell of a football coach. I think about it this way because you mentioned, Hey, they haven't played anybody in the non-conference after Auburn, right? Montana, throw them out. They don't count. Nevada, throw them out. They don't count. And you don't know what you have just looking at that Auburn game. Yeah. Because you have a team that could have been up 28-3. Right. Looked dominant. And then you have a team that lost that game in the, the final two quarters. So this game, and Stanford's not perfect. This is a very down year for Stanford. I think the Ducks should be the favorites to win this game and, and win it convincingly, like what QB was saying about smash mouth football and just lining up and and punching the other guy in the mouth but i think this game is going to teach us whether the ducks can do that this year yeah um i think if you watch the auburn game and and came away from that and said i think it's time that we reset our expectations for this season if that was you yes then i think that Mm -hmm. this is the game where you determine where you reset them now yes the outcome of this game says okay look you know oregon is this good you know they they should have they should have beat auburn uh, you know, realistically, and, and you know they they're going to put a hurting on Stanford. This is where they are, or you know they, they barely beat Stanford. This is where they are, or they lost to Stanford. This is you know, this is your game to go ahead and reset your expectations moving forward for the season. Obviously, torches and pitchforks come out if you lose to Stanford. Sure, but I think if it's a close game, 
the kind of game where the Cardinal stay in it yeah. and they fight you and they claw with you up till the final whistle, barring something crazy, that's concerning too. Yeah, I mean, let's let's face it. Oregon's added a lot of depth at certain places, but you're you're a couple injuries away from you know being from this game shifting. You know, there, there's a couple guys, and I won't even mention them so that people don't say, don't say it, don't say it. There's a couple guys on the team that if they get hurt, it, it changes the dynamic of this football game for Oregon. Same for Stanford. Uh, you know, you could tell they were a different, uh, different team last week here without some of their starters uh, in play. Um, so, again, we just have to see how this game plays out. And uh, I think RJ is going to come on and, and probably give us a little bit of a of – an. Of, he's not. He's going to come on and give us some really good insight about what to expect from that side of the football. Right. RJ Abacha from thebootleg.com. Let's get him on the phone line. Talking with RJ Abacha, Stanford football and basketball insider for the bootleg. RJ, we're pumped to bring you on, man, because we know the Ducks inside and out. We think we know the rest of the Pac-12, <laughs> but at least for me, I don't know a lot about this Stanford team this year. A lot of new faces and a lot of question marks. What do you think and, and how do you feel about this Stanford team heading into this big matchup this weekend? Well, I think, you know, as you guys know, as someone who covers and focuses on one team, sometimes you get to a place where you know so much that you realize you don't know. <laughs> and I think in a certain extent we've arrived at, at that place with Stanford. Um, I think coming into the year um, – this season had the widest range in terms of possible outcomes, um, both in terms of a floor and not so much as a ceiling, but still I think there was a high enough ceiling if things went right for, for fans to be optimistic. But the bottom line is that so far through three games, um, we are way closer to the floor um, in terms of this season than we are to the, to the ceiling um, in terms of Stanford's potential. Right, right. So at this point in the year, you had a, a tough game on national TV that everybody saw two weeks ago. Everybody went, oh, that wasn't a good game for Stanford. And then uh, same, same question last week with UCF. What's your expectation for this team and their win total, RJ? I mean, that's really tough. I mean, now that we have these three data points, and you look at the rest of Stanford's schedule, which, aside from a few, we'll just call them oases in the desert, um, <laughs> there's a, I mean, there's there's challenges pretty much every week. Yeah. I mean, Stanford's got um, Oregon, obviously, this week, um, and then they hit a little bit of a soft patch after um, with Oregon State and UCLA and Arizona. But that next stretch of four games also includes Washington. Um, so, you know, that that's tough. And then they finish the year. Um, they finish the year with uh, with Cal and uh, and Notre Dame. And I think they also got, uh, if I didn't already mention it, UCLA and Washington State in Pullman. So, again, there's just so many variables right now. And I guess if we have to start somewhere – We'll just start with the offensive line, and I would say that if Stanford is able to stabilize itself on the offensive line, I still think they can win seven, eight, maybe even nine games. 
if they cannot stabilize themselves on the offensive line, either through performance or just the massive injuries that they've suffered, then we are talking about a team that's going to have to work really hard to be bowl eligible. Yeah, and and I love your point there, RJ, because I think we both know at this point in time that if you don't, if you aren't dominant on the offensive and defensive line to a degree, you know, you're it's a much bigger challenge for you to get through the Pac-12. And I think that's one of the things for Stanford. They've always been a very dominant and powerful team on both sides of the ball. You know, I know it's a staple of of Coach Shaw, and he's and he's done it really well. So with that in mind, uh, let's start with offense entering this week. Where is Stanford kind of at on the injury front there? Is there still a couple key ones in there? Costello coming back. What are, what are, what are you hearing there so far? So yesterday, actually, Coach Shaw brought up some, some reasons for tempered optimism. Foster Sorrell, the team's starting right tackle, um, who was lost in the USC game and unavailable for the game against USF. And Dylan Powell, who is a who is a second-string um, interior lineman, but he's the first second-string interior lineman. So both of those guys have been out, and there's a possibility um, there's a possibility that they can get those guys back. And that's something that we hope to find out possibly as early as today at, after Coach Shaw's practice scrum. Um, and probably no later than Friday, based on what he told us. So if they're able to get those two guys back, those are two veteran guys that should take a lot of the stress off of off an offensive line that has had to feature as many as four freshmen, true fresh, well, true freshmen um, already this year. And just to give you kind of a perspective, last year Stanford had to start eight different offensive line combinations in its 13 games. This year they are already three for three. Wow. So wow. there is a hope. Obviously, Walker Little, their best offensive lineman, is gone for the year. So, again, as we were kind of alluding to at the start of our chat, the ceiling is a little bit lower. But there is hope that if those two veteran guys can come back, the Cardinal can kind of stabilize. And really, I mean, honestly, yes, you want to see your best guys available. But at this point, Stanford just needs to see the same five guys for two, three, four weeks because they just haven't had that experience. And it really doesn't matter what offense you're running. If you cannot keep continuity on the offensive line, there's really only so much that your skill guys are able to do for you. RJ, uh, flipping this now to the other side of the ball, because I think if you keep talking about the Stanford O-line, Duck fans are, are going to be grinning from ear <laughs> to ear. It, it sounds like a, a great matchup for the green and yellow. Uh, Stanford defensively, how do you think they match up with this Oregon team? Well, they're going to be tested um, pretty severely. I mean, they've basically been blowtorched by freshman quarterbacks the last two weeks, and now they're playing a team that has at, at least as much talent on offense as the last two teams, and they've got probably the best quarterback in college football, or at least certainly one of the top five quarterbacks. Um, and so this is a tough matchup. There's really no other way to say it. I mean, there were signs of improvement from Stanford in their opening win over Northwestern, um, but this team has not been able to generate any sort of a consistent disruptive pass rush, and they can't cover right now. They really just can't. We're just watching the back of far too many secondary uniforms through three games 
um, certainly through the last two games. And if you really break it down, pretty much the last seven quarters. I mean, the last two games, Stanford's given up 90 points and over 1,000 yards on offense. Jeez. Um, and their, their rankings in terms of yards per attempt allowed and yards per carry match what those numbers are saying. So, you know, this is a defense that does have some young talent and does have some talent that's worth being excited about for the future. Um, but right now, it is a significant struggle on that side of the ball. Is youth the biggest problem there defensively? You know, has something changed? I mean, is it the fact that the offense can't sustain, you know, drives because, you know, of the of the mass unit on offensive line? What are some of your thoughts through, you know, of why that isn't working well for Stanford so far? Well, my flip answer is yes. Um, and it's kind of something I wrote this week is that, you know, fans, I think, and everybody – when you start analyzing your team, and especially when you start analyzing what's wrong with your team, you kind of think of it as this kind of zero-sum game where it's, it's about one thing that rises above all the others. But the truth is, this is a confluence of many, many problems. Um, there's been some recruiting shortfalls on the defensive line um, and at inside linebacker and in the secondary. Um, that's a huge part of it. I mean, you guys know how important recruiting is ultimately at the end of the day, at the beginning of the day, and any other point during the day. Um, they've had injuries. I mean, they lost temporarily um, during the UCF game. They lost two more linebackers, which brought the total up to five over a span of, I think, five quarters. Wow. Um, so it's just kind of a perfect storm. I mean, Lance. Lance Anderson has not forgotten how to coach defense. Right. He's not forgotten what to do. You guys as Duck fans, you know, you've seen Oregon have success against Stanford, and you've seen Stanford really shut down some really good Duck teams. So, yep. you know, I mean, it's, it's about having the horses, and right now Stanford does not have the horses. Yeah, you mentioned the history, RJ. One of my favorite tidbits when when the Ducks play Stanford is that every time they match up, Mario Cristobal says, David Shaw is the coach I respect the most in the Pac-12. Or or he goes on a rant about all the the gizmos and gadgets that David Shaw is going to bring out on Saturday and how terrified he is of David Shaw. You get to see Stanford coach David Shaw up close and impersonal and, and, and pick his brain a lot more than we do. Where do you think he can have success on Saturday? Well, I think he is one of his one of his bigger themes all through the offseason, um, through training camp, has been this idea of simplification. Just let's find out the plays, the base plays that we're good at, and let's run them. As opposed to the past where I think, you know, a lot has been made of Stanford's gigantic terabyte size. <laughs> Uh, playbook and and how complicated it is and how difficult it is for freshmen to learn it and, and so on and so forth. I think the staff has gone in with the intent this year of making the playbook and making their game plans something that players can embrace and really do without having to do as much thinking as they've had in the past. Um, the results have not been great, but I think their intent is is there. And the truth is they've dialed up 
a good number of plays that should have probably resulted in points. If you look back at the USC game and the UCF game, I mean, there are balls deep down the field that are hitting receivers' hands or they're coming up just short or they're coming up just long. And and so it's not like Stanford hasn't found weaknesses in the defenses that they've played for the first three weeks. But, you know, I hate to go to the coach buzzword, but part of it is just execution. And I think there's hope that what Stanford is doing is going to turn the corner. Um, now, as Mike Tyson says, everybody's got a plan until they get hit in the face. So, you know, I think Stanford looks at this matchup against Oregon, and I think they do definitely see some opportunities. But there's a long way between seeing those opportunities on film and making them realities on Saturday. Yeah, I was waiting. Uh, <clears throat> first of all, great stuff, RJ. I'm really impressed with, with you know how you're looking at this team and, and this matchup. But, you know, one of the things I was waiting to see if you hit on was execution because Oregon fans are very familiar with that word, uh, you know, from Mario Cristobal and Marcus Arroyo. And like you said, coaches can dial up a perfect play call offensively or defensively, and if it's not executed, it just doesn't happen. So, you know, certainly can can attest to that. And I, I think one of the things that makes David Shaw such a smart coach, like you said, he's identified, hey, look, we're not going to get anywhere with a really big playbook and a bunch of plays nobody knows. Let's simplify and, and just really perfect that craft. I think that's the right way to look at it. One of the interesting narratives that I, that just is almost surreal to me at this point, and it's because of the respect I think Oregon Oregon fans have for Stanford uh, from the past years is that Oregon might actually be a more physical football team than Stanford this year. It's it's crazy to think about from but from where you sit, is that something that you see is actually somewhat of a realistic take? I don't think there's any question. Um, one of the articles or series of articles I did over the summer was um, – Using uh, PFF, Pro Football Focus Grades, I looked at who were the top linemen on both sides of the ball coming back. And there's an awful lot of Oregon right. on both sides of the ball. Um, the first name on my head in my head right now is Throckmorton because that's such an awesome name. <laughs> Doc Throck, <laughs> yep. But on both sides of the ball, Oregon has clearly leveled up. And Coach Shaw... He tried to minimize that this week because he talked about how he felt Oregon's always been good on the offensive line, and he talked about art on the defensive line. You know, he talked about he referenced DeForest Buckner. Um, but I don't think there's any question that as, as a unit, Oregon's offensive line and their defensive line is bigger, stronger, more physical, and more of a force right now than Stanford is on either side of the ball. And – and, yeah, it is shocking, I think, for those who have paid attention to this rivalry for the past, you know, seven, eight years when it's been a really good rivalry in the sense of yeah. each team has kind of found a way to wreck some really good seasons for the other. Right. Um, and and so, yeah, it is surprising. But the truth is this has been going on for years, at least on the offensive line. Stanford has lost its physical identity, and if you look at – you know, their run stuff stats, if you look at their success on on those kind of mono-e-mono downs, third and one, fourth and one, um, it's down. And they just don't win at the line of scrimmage like I think, you know, fans are used to. And it, it's been an interesting experience because you realize there's this time lapse, you know, versus when you cover a team every day, it all happens in real time. And so you're not surprised when things like happen, things like this happen, because you can see it. You've seen it for years. 
casual fans, national fans, you know, they're watching this Stanford team and they're saying, wait a minute, what is, what is going on? And the truth is, it's not something that is just unfolding now in 2019. And you guys know, for the good or the bad, when teams go right, when teams go wrong, it's very rarely the result of something sudden happening to them. Right. Yeah. Not in college football. It's, it's all about gradual change and recruiting and keeping up. And developing, yeah, recruiting, developing. Um, RJ, we're going to get you off here. I know you've got some other other things to do today, but one of the one of the uh, final questions I had for you here. I'm not going to ask you to make a prediction, but what I'd like to know is who are a couple of your key players for the game from Stanford that can, you know, really shift this game or make a major impact, uh, you know, on this game in favor of Stanford. Well, I think you have to start. Um, at left tackle with freshman Walter Rouse, who's going to be making his third straight start and his third start all time. Um, certainly Oregon has seen the film. And frankly, for a first-time guy thrown into the mix, I think he's done pretty well. Um, he's going to have to be good, I think. If he, if he can play an effective game, because I don't expect Stanford to win this game by running the ball 35 times, I expect if they're going to win this game or if they're going to at least four points, um, it's going to happen through the air, and that's going to have to start with good pass protection, and that kind of starts at left tackle, in my mind. Yeah. Um, and then, obviously, K.J. Costello had a rough week last Saturday, um, coming back after having missed the game, uh, having missed the USC game. Um, he's going to need to be good. Um, all his numbers last year, all his advanced numbers suggested that he was certainly within range of Justin Herbert in terms of just straight-up statistical performance. Um, and that's going to have to be the case on Saturday. I don't think there's any way for Stanford to win this game without K.J. Costello being really, really good. I've heard uh, Coach Cristobal reference, uh, in particular, Stanford's corners uh, this year and being bigger, you know, a little bit longer and physical. Uh, obviously, the numbers really aren't, in their favor there how is Stanford there at corner defensive back well they are not struggling nearly as badly as they are at safety okay. um, and and frankly there there is some talent there I mean look um, Paulson Adebo had a rough weekend last Saturday but um, he's still one of the best cornerbacks in America he's got the pedigree that suggested he is one of those longer physical types of guys that you were talking about. Um, Obi Ebo on the other side has had a has had a rough last couple weeks, but you know he's put together enough solid play at the end of last year that you'd hope he'd kind of turn a corner at some point. And then they've got some young guys. They got a guy named Caillou Kelly, who is a freshman out of uh, Bishop Gorman in Las Vegas, who has been getting more reps, and he also is one of those kind of taller, leaner, more physical guys um, that you see in the secondary. So. There's talent there. Um, I think it's pretty clear at this point that if Stanford's going to provide any kind of resistance to the Duck passing game, it's going to have to be because they're generating a pass rush and making some things difficult for Herbert because if they don't, I just think you're asking way too much of the secondary to just lock down Oregon receivers. And also, Herbert's good. I mean... I don't remember his completion percentage last year in the game, but I think it was north of 70. Certainly it was north of 70 in the first half. So 
Um, yeah, I just think that, you know, I think there's some talent back there, but I think it's going to take some time to develop. And as far as Saturday's game goes, I think you're going to see Stanford being a little bit more aggressive in terms of dialing up, dialing up some blitzes and some stuff because you kind of just have to at this point. Right. You know? <laughs> yeah. To, to sit back and say to yourself, well, we're just going to play off and we're just going to let these teams roll up and down the field, you know, is not great. And the other part of it, too, is that, you know, Stanford's getting beat deep. So, you know, the vulnerability of being aggressive with your pass rush is that you get beat deep. Well, if you're not, if you're getting beat deep anyways, you might as well be sending some people. Take a few chances. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I think that's kind of what it's going to take for Stanford to, to stay in this game and to win it if there's going to be a way for them to win it. All right. That's the key for Stanford. RJ, we want to wrap up with you, but before we do, want to let Duck fans know, if you want to scout the enemy this week, check out thebootleg.com. Check out RJ's work. And uh, Justin and I had a question for you. The bootleg is an awesome name. How did you guys come up with that? So, honestly, I don't know exactly the genesis of it because the bootleg actually goes back pre-digital. Oh, wow. The bootleg started, the bootleg started as a faxed newsletter <laughs> between, um, between two big Stanford fans um uh that 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 eventually became the guys who published the bootleg uh Jim Rudder and Lars Alstrom they were just two fans they didn't even really know each other that well and then they started doing this kind of fact newsletter where they throw in some recruiting stuff and just some commentary and 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 you know then the internet came and it became a a message board and and so it and then you know it kind of is what it is now and so um I will get back to you, and I will try. To, like, <laughs> by the time the next time we talk, I will try to know exactly how it got to be the bootleg. But certainly, it's a name that we love, and um, it's certainly a part of the brand, without question. Yeah. No. Before we had you on, I just you know Matt and I commented like that's a great name. I mean, it just it is. It's a great name, it, it, especially with the way it pays homage to Stanford uh, football. But anyways, RJ, we appreciate your time, man, and uh, you know definitely look forward to having you on again in the future. My pleasure, guys. Have a great day. That was fun. Yeah. No, uh, you know, it's great. As a, it was a new guest that we haven't had before. He definitely had an extensive knowledge of Stanford football. I think he, you know, mentioned a lot of things that, that probably most fans already knew of. But, you know, like he said, he really hit the nail on the head. You know, Stanford's struggling in offensive line. And if you're struggling in offensive line, your whole offense is struggling, really. Right. Yeah, I mean, you're just, I mean, unless you're running the air raid, that's really the only way to get around that. And even then, you're not going to just switch to that. Stanford's not going to just switch to the air raid. Yeah. So, um, you know, some great points there. And, uh, you know, I, I think he certainly kind of painted a picture that, that seemed, you know, pretty optimistic for Oregon. I, I think Stanford's feeling a bit outmatched headed into this week. I'm sure David Shaw will never admit to that and say that. But if you're looking at the two teams and you're looking at the performances through three games so far, Oregon clearly looks like the favorite. I totally agree. I, I look at two angles. One is... When Mario has credited David Shaw in the past, it's been to the complexity and the diversity of what Stanford is running. Yeah. And then we hear from RJ that, oh, they've, they've thrown that in the trash this year. <laughs> right. uh, no more terabyte-sized playbook was the term he had. They're scaled down. That's going to help Oregon. Yeah. You, you try to match up Oregon physically, 
They got Kayvon Thibodeau. They got Mace Funa. They got a bunch of upperclassmen that are big and strong and fast and mean. Good luck matching up with those guys. Well, Oregon's deep. I know, you know, RJ doesn't know Oregon as well as we do from a daily basis. I understand that, weekly basis. And, uh, you know, Oregon, to their credit, is much deeper. I don't think it's just necessarily the starting 11 on each side of the football, uh, you know, or the starting five if you're talking offensive line. It's the fact that, you know, like we talked earlier, Oregon can go seven, eight, nine guys deep on offensive line. And sure, maybe there's a little bit of a drop off, but it's not catastrophic like what Stanford's experiencing now. So, right. um, you know, and, and again, you know, we know this and, and maybe RJ doesn't, but, you know, Coach Feld, I mean, he's come in and it's second year of his strength program. There's no doubt that if you looked at these Oregon players two years ago to now, they're noticeably bigger. They're more physical. They're not getting as tired in the football game. You could see, I mean, their bodies are changing. So, you know, I think there's a number of elements there um, that, once again, just one of the things I can, I know I've mentioned it a couple times already, but Oregon's more physical than Stanford. It's just, and and on both sides of the ball. And it's just crazy. That is so surprising. Yeah, it's just crazy. Oregon is more physical than Stanford. Go back in time and tell yourself, hey, Justin Hopkins, when you're still working for ESPN, or, or when you're working for, for some of the other guys in the industry, go back in time and tell younger J-Hop that yeah. Oregon is going to be more physical than Stanford. Five years ago. If I had told myself that five years ago, I would have laughed at myself like, yeah, right, whatever. Right. Okay, yeah. <laughs> I mean, five, and that's not very long in college football. You know, yeah. five years is not very long. So, um, no, uh, great, great guest, and I, I loved his insight, and I think he provided a lot of intel on Stanford that, that most of us, including myself, weren't aware of. And uh, it sounds like they're a little bit healthier this week, though. So, you know, maybe we just kind of need to temper expectations. I know fans are looking at the last two weeks saying, oh, just going to blow them out of the water. It's going to be a bloodbath. Hey, road win is a road win. Right. It could happen. But first of all, it's Stanford. You know, second of all, it's David Shaw. Uh, You know, their quarterback's going to be another week removed from his injury. Sounds like they're getting a couple starters back on offensive line, which is going to make a huge difference. So, again, you need to start looking at this. Hey, this is a good Stanford football team, and they can do some things, and you need to take them seriously. No question, Mario Cristobal and company's doing that, but I think some fans have possibly gotten the cart a little bit ahead of the horse here. Yeah. I can't wait for Saturday. Me neither. So uh, we got a couple more items on the agenda. Yeah. A fork in the road moment for us. So I'm going to let you take it. Do we do five games, or do we go into player of the game and lock of the week? Yeah, so we're going to add the player of the week segment that uh, that we'll do. So Matt and I are going to predict who our player of the week will be for Oregon, win or loss. That's who we think is going to have the best game, offense or defense, and we've got our lock it in. So let's do those two now. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, we'll do that now. Do you uh, do you know what you want to do for player of the game? Player Player of the week? Yeah, I've got my player of the week. Okay, all yeah. right. So I'm I'm set on that too. Okay, you go first. I uh, well, I got to explain it. Okay, my big point of emphasis for Oregon, when you see a Stanford team that wants to scale things down and play fast and play physical, QB eleven said it. Uh, we said it with RJ, and I'll say it again. That that fits right into what Oregon wants to do, and I think the beneficiary of that is CJ Verdell. Oh, okay. You know what? Okay, so I I like where you're going there because really that's going to parlay into lock of the week for me. But yeah, I'm not I'm not with CJ Verdell. I'm going to go uh, a different route here, and I feel like it's almost unfair, but I've got to do the uh, uh, Jacob Breeland. I think he's going to have another big game, yeah. and I, I know he's been catching the ball lately. That's a natural fit too. It, yeah, I, I just think with the way you know Stanford, uh, if they're getting beat deep, if their defensive backs are trouble, 
uh, already, I can see that they're going to be stressed in the middle of the field already. And if safety is the biggest concern, he could be a guy that sneaks in behind them. Um, you know, again, if and the reason I say that is because I, I believe Stanford will will really focus on coming up to stop the run. Right. And and really putting the and we've seen it. Teams have put the ball in Justin Herbert's hands at times and said, hey, beat us deep. And at times it's worked and at times it hasn't worked for that opposing defense. So I think that's what Stanford will do. They'll bring their linebackers up, which means that Breland could have some really, really big plays down the middle of the field. That's an awesome angle to think about. Like like RJ mentioned, Stanford's already gone through five linebackers this year. Yeah. Tons of injuries, some, some freshmen and some young guys getting some run. When you have inexperienced linebackers, your defense is prey to the play action. Yeah. All Justin Herbert has to do is just show that run. Get that bite. And and those linebackers bite. They they leap up real forward yep. right up to the line of scrimmage. And Jacob Breland can just fit right behind him. Yeah. And if, and if RJ's right and if Stanford does try to bring the pressure this week a little bit more than they have, which is probably not a bad philosophy in the end, um, that, that also feeds right into it. So I think Breland's going to have a big game this yeah. week. Yeah, big, sometimes, big game. sometimes when you throw the kitchen sink, you no longer have a kitchen. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so Let's lock it in time. Yeah, yeah. Could be a big day for, for Breland or for uh, Verdell or for a whole lot of ducks. Right. Lock it in. All right, for lock it in for me, uh, I'm playing off your player of the week, which wasn't the plan, but I've got a two-parter again. I believe that Oregon will outrush Stanford on the ground. Okay. They will put up more rush yards in this football game. And just to go along with that, uh, just just so that I'm clear, I think Oregon will have a better uh, yards per rush average than Stanford. I think it will go twofold this week. It won't just be based on volume. I think they will be more effective running the football, and I think they will stick to running. I know I just went with Breland. I'm counting on him for the big stretch plays to push the defense back. Oregon's going to stick to the ground, though, and run the ball, and I think they're going to have more rush yards than Stanford, which is crazy to think about. Once again, Oregon being more physical than Stanford, they're going to pound the rock on Stanford. That's been the Stanford blueprint for a decade right. or two now. Yeah, so yeah. I think I think right. that's my lock it in, along with a better yards per rush average uh, from Oregon. Yeah, it's crazy to think about because fans will say, hey, guys, the Ducks used to run for 300 yards a game and, and all this, and Chip was running the ball like crazy. Yes. But it wasn't physical like this. No. It wasn't in between the tackles like this as much as it's been. Um, and a third of those were from your quarterback. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. We don't have Darren Thomas on yeah. this Ducks team. Yeah. I love where that's going. I, I think you got an inside scoop on the game plan a little bit there. I, I think they're going to run the ball a lot, and they're going to run the ball effectively with a lot of variety on that offensive line. I think... Like, like I said, I think C.J. Verdell has a big game. I think the overarching message this week in Eugene, if I just had to spitball it, is play smart. Play smart, play yeah. safe, don't turn it over. And my prediction, my lock, is that the Ducks don't fumble. Okay. I think that was the single biggest difference maker last year against Stanford was you had a young team that was a little too aggressive trying to force the big play, and you have the uh, the Herbert fumble that ended up being a two-touchdown swing, right. and you have the, the fumble late in the fourth quarter that when you're trying to ice the game, right. keep Stanford in it. 
you protect the football. You make that an emphasis this week. I think the coaches did that. I think the players will do that on Saturday. And I think the Ducks play fumble-free football. And that's great. I mean, honestly, anytime you play a, a Stanford team, uh, you want to play with a clean sheet. You know, you want to keep the turnovers to a minimum if you have any at all, and you want to keep penalties to a minimum uh, as best you can. Oregon definitely did that against Montana. Uh, you know, no turnovers and only two penalties in that game. It's time to do that again against Stanford. If Oregon can do that, I, I, I feel confident that they'll win the football game if they can keep a, a relatively clean sheet. I agree. Not, I agree. Don't shoot yourselves in the foot, boys. That's the old coach <laughs> talk there. But, it, I mean, it rings. Anytime you're giving the other team points, I mean, right. you're just making your job harder. Hey, you mentioned earlier, you talked about execution, and I, I forgot. I wanted to hit on this. Uh, a team like Stanford mm -hmm. that thinks right now on Wednesday when we're taping this that they have a game plan to beat the Ducks, but RJ doesn't think they have a game plan, and I don't think they have a game plan. You don't think they have a game plan. Execution is so pivotal, and it reminds me of when I was first uh, covering high school football in the state. I worked in Klamath Falls, and there was a big local rivalry matchup between Mazama, which is a local power, mm -hmm. and Klamath Union, which is kind of in the basement. Right. And the school that I covered was Klamath Union. So I remember speaking to the coaches on Thursday night, and the coaches are going, Matt, we figured it out. Like it's it's like two scientists right. that found the cure for cancer. They're gonna run empty backfield, and we're gonna run all these trick plays, and we're gonna win. We're gonna pull off the upset. Right. right? We really believe we have a chance. And they got drilled like fifty to nothing the next right, night. Right. And uh, afterwards, I go to the coaches and I say, "Hey, man, what what happened to that game plan?" And he said, "Yeah, you know, we felt really good. We had this great game plan. The players had bought in. And as soon as we got off the bus Friday night, we started warming up for a couple minutes." We realized it, it wasn't going to happen. <laughs> it's like, I, I, I think that might happen for Stanford on Saturday. Yeah, I mean, you know, if you don't have the horses, like RJ said, it's hard to win the race. And, and, and Oregon has out-recruited Stanford the last couple of years, really, at least since Mario Cristobal's been there. And, uh, you know, secondly, if you don't have the horses, your next best thing that you're hoping for is execution. You need, you know, uh, smart players that execute and, and take care of the football. If you're not doing two of those three things, you're in deep trouble. So if, if Stanford really compounds it and doesn't take care of the football, they're going to be in trouble. But, All right. But we'll see. That's 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 the game. It's, it's going to be a great game. I'm excited for that game. And I'm I, I really, like we said earlier, I'm excited to see uh, that we can reset the expectations for this Oregon team. We you know Okay, we know the first three games. They won two of, out, of, out of the three. Probably should have won the third. Okay, we're, so where are we now? We're going to find out this weekend. We'll really be able to have a good handle on the season, hopefully. All right. That's one of the great games we'll get to watch this week. I got Time for five games. I got uh, yeah, I got more than five. I don't know about you, but I got more than five. I had a fun five. Did I, you? I I understand what you mean. You said off air that you could have picked like twenty games. Yeah, I could have picked a couple more. I get it. Yeah. I totally get it. Because there's some really good games. Yeah, and it's not so much about the Pac twelve this this week. There's you know, there's some you know, there's some good games nationally too. Um, but I just think there's a lot of interesting matchups that have a lot of, you know, storylines that relate to Oregon. So uh I guess I can kick them off. Yeah. And we can see how many of yours I get since sure. I have more. Yeah. Uh first up, Utah USC. Yes. Yeah, that's a no brainer. That and, and best of all, that's a Friday game, six o'clock, uh F S one. Uh Utah is your favorite by four points there. You think Oregon or Utah covers that? They're going to cover plus four and, and win the game. I was so disappointed by USC last week. Yeah, I, I still don't think it's – yeah, I just 
they're not a well-coached team, and you yeah. can see that. They've got firepower for days on offense. I was, I was up in Portland watching that game with my father-in-law, who's a Pentecostal minister. And so he does not like BYU sure. for for reasons for that a lot of reasons. I yeah. don't need to I don't need to dive into it. I don't mean to offend anyone. Right. He does not like That's BYU for yep. very theological reasons. And uh, that was a tough game to watch. Yep. Just see a team that from from a hypothetical, you get these recruits from Southern California, you get these four star and five star guys, and you have his star studded coaching staff coming in. You have some of the best facilities on the planet. There's no reason they lose that game. Nope, there isn't. There isn't. Uh, speaking of BYU, I've got Washington at BYU. Yeah, yep. I had that one too. Saturday at 1230 on ABC. Uh, Washington's a six-and-a-half-point favorite. BYU is a team that's beat Tennessee and USC this year. I I mean, I still think Washington wins that game, but I think it's a it's a field, it's a field goal. We're going to, just like we're going to get a great feel for where Oregon's at this week, I think we're going to get a good feel for where Washington's at this week. I think BYU reminded a lot of people on Saturday why Kelani Sitaki's name gets thrown out every time there's a Pac-12 coaching opening. Yeah. I know Oregon State was really fond of him uh, the year they settled on Jonathan Smith. I think BYU's a really interesting team, and yep. they're not the most diverse team strategically. They're not going to throw a, a whole crap ton at you. But they play sound, they play fundamental, and they play physical football. This could be a really tough game for Washington. That's the thing. I don't think Washington's that physical this year. I think I, I think they like to be, but I think they've lost some of that part, that component of their football team on both sides of the line of scrimmage. And I think that plays into BYU's uh, favor. The only other thing I'll say is if they can get after Jacob Eason, I think he's a guy that can be rattled. If you yes. if you get after him, I think you can rattle him, and that throws off their whole offense. Yeah. So that's going to be a real interesting game to me. Uh, I had Cal at Ole Miss. I doubt you have that one. You're looking at my notes, okay. man. I wasn't sure. I, Cal at Ole Miss. Just, three for three. Ole Miss is favored in that game by two and a half points. Uh, Saturday, 9 o'clock on ESPN. Again, I usually try and pick games that aren't at the same time slot as Oregon. doesn't always happen, but that's my goal. Right. So, so far, we're good there. Uh, so Cal will miss. I, I think Cal will go down there and get it done, but but we'll see. Again, that's going to be a great barometer game to figure out where Cal's at because we don't know. I don't know if they can get it done, but I hope they get it yeah. done. Oh, yeah. Like, like I, obviously, for for me as a member of the media, and I know you're the same way, you got Duck in the name of your website, right. scoopduck.com for Duck fans. We want the Ducks to do as well as they can. Yeah. In a perfect world, they go unbeaten. They go to the playoff. We get to follow them all the way to the national title game. And then we're the first person asking Mario questions after he's lifted the trophy when it's all said and done. But I still root for Justin Wilcox at Cal and and see that last vestige of the Bellotti, Kelly, Helfrich eras all finding their way there in Berkeley. I hope they win. Small small tree. Small tree growing. It's mini Groot. Yeah. Uh, and, and again, you know, if Cal wins, the narrative will be, well, Ole Miss isn't that good in the SEC. You know, it, that'll be the narrative. It, it won't be, hey, maybe the Pac-12 doesn't actually suck. Right. Right. Week, week to week. That's right. A, this week, they'll tell you the SEC is not that good. Right. And then Georgia beats Notre Dame like right. the same day and they'll go, oh, the yeah. SEC is amazing. Yeah. Uh, that was so Michigan and Wisconsin, which QB talked about. That was one of my games. That's going to be well. That's listed as a good one because that's two top ten teams. But I think Wisconsin's going to freaking roll them. That's the only game I don't have so far. Okay, I think Wisconsin's going to roll them. Uh, Saturday nine o'clock on Fox. So again, another game in the morning. 
Uh, Wisconsin, only a three-and-a-half-point favorite. If I'm a betting man, I go put a bunch of money on Wisconsin. I think they're going to roll it up. But we'll see. Three-and-a-half ain't, ain't much. Yeah. Uh, Auburn at A&M. I do have that one. Yeah, that that if you're an Oregon fan, you are definitely paying attention to that. Where's Auburn? They're 3-0, going to play a good A&M team. A&M's lost to uh, Clemson, which was expected. That's Saturday at 1230 on CBS. A&M is a three-and-a-half-point favorite in that game. I, under- wow. I understand the 12th man and, and playing in College Station is tough, but... That's got to be the only factor there. I, I would assume. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, they're a good team. Um, but uh, if you're a Duck fan, you're definitely going to keep an eye on Auburn A&M, at least the score, and try and see what's going on there. Just I, just for Oregon's sake. I agree. Just for Oregon's sake, it's, it's like what happened to Notre Dame two years ago when Georgia went on that run of the national title game where the Fighting Irish lose early season against Georgia, but they aren't hurt in the rankings yeah. because everyone thought Georgia was so good. Right. We just assumed that was a quality loss. Right. And I, I think with Oregon, it's is that Auburn loss going to be a quality loss? Correct. Well, this is the game where we find that out. Yeah, this is a bit of a measuring stick to know. So, you know, for Oregon, it's twofold. You're going to see where Auburn's at. And they were able to beat you in game one. You're going to see where you're at versus Stanford this week. So it's, it's a big week for Oregon football. Uh, Notre Dame versus Georgia. Yeah. Saturday, 5 o'clock. I try not to overlap, but that one's, you know, that's a big game. Got to, got to look at that one. Uh, apparently, though, I don't know if you looked, Georgia's a 14-point favorite. 14 points. I'm not surprised, if only because the last time Notre Dame played a team of that caliber they got Clemson. And that's the thing. I don't think Notre Dame's that good. I still yeah. don't think they're that good. I usually don't almost every year. I, I, I think Georgia will steam. 14 points is a lot, though. Yeah. That's that's a lot of points uh, against a – If I last time I looked, Notre Dame was like number seven or something. They're up there. They're in the top ten. So 3v7 was what I saw uh, what, okay. when I was doing the Google search on this one. But 14 points against a team that's only four spots lower than you is crazy. Yeah. So uh, I, I think Georgia wins, and I do uh, – 14 is a lot, but I think they might even cover that. I just, I, I'm not, I don't, I never bought into Michigan. I still don't. I, I don't buy into Notre Dame either. Why do you think, so, so this is a fascinating question to me, and, and you're the recruiting expert of the two. When I was growing up, Ohio State, Michigan, Notre Dame, Penn State, Wisconsin, Purdue even had some good teams. They had Drew yeah. Brees. Yeah. Uh, they, they had some great talents. There's a lot of great Big Ten football, yeah. and and I count Notre Dame in that, even though they're not Big Ten. Right. Why isn't it that way anymore? What, what have those schools done wrong? You know, I, I don't even know that it's it's recruiting. I just I wonder if it's – and Notre Dame doesn't really fit into this uh, currently, but it's, you know, maybe some of the antiquated ways they just continue to, to you know, we're going to run the ball, we're going to run the ball and kick field goals. And, you know, as the game evolved offensively, you can't just do that. Right. I think even as much as Mario Cristobal wants to run the football, or Nick Saban for that matter, they identify that you can't just line up and run the ball, you know, a hundred times a game. Oh yeah, it, it, you just can't. And I think a lot of those teams were stubborn to change, and and might even still be like Michigan State. I mean, they're stubborn to change from that, and I think that's a detriment. At the end of the day, you can't go face some of these really good. You could say you're going to do that, and then you go face an Oklahoma, and they're just going to smash you. I mean, right. not from a physical standpoint. You're never going to catch them offensively. They're going to put you down by 14 points, and you're not built to come back and catch up. That's just my opinion. Over, right. But that's like you know a 30-year-in-the-making thing, not 
you know, like a five year in the making thing, you know, it's, it's, it's a different deal. Well, that gets back to your point at the start of the pod of just how time works in college yeah. football. Yeah. It's not like the NFL where Cliff Kingsbury can go to Arizona and in five months of off season training and a couple preseason games and now two regular season games, they lead the league in no huddle. Right. They went from bottom of the league in pace to top of the league in a year. Right. Because of, of systematic change. Yeah. You don't get systematic change like that in college football. Right. I mean, you've got free agency, which you can do, you know, because if, if, if you're playing free agency, right, you got players that are ready made that can come in and play and you're just, you're simply, you know, teaching them language and some other things where it comes into college football, you're recruiting and you can recruit for that type of change but you still got to develop you can't just hope hey good luck guys this is what we're doing uh you know that might be some of the struggles that usc is facing you know you you've recruited a certain way and now you've completely shifted your offensive identity luckily they had the receivers for that they still have tons of talent but they're still not a complete team in my opinion uh last game uh colorado at asu and it's a saturday night game seven o'clock so after oregon stanford's done on the pac-12 network so nobody's going to get to see it uh asu is a seven and a half point favorite in that game now so you've already hit all of my five i figured but this is this is that extra game and you mentioned michigan state and and we were talking about this on twitter earlier you're not that high on arizona state oh i'm not no i'm not i i think they're a good team uh i don't think they're a great team um they got a lot of youth there. They lost a lot of offensive production last year. Uh, I just, again, I see a good, I, I thought Michigan State was another team that was highly overranked. Um, and, I, and I felt that before Arizona State. So um, I don't think Arizona State beating them off a questionable call to end the game suddenly gives ASU credit. So maybe I'm a little stricter in the way I, I rank and, and, and grade teams, but I also think some of these other media folk tend to jump on wins and other things a little bit too quickly in my opinion yeah uh the texas is back people yeah the usc is back people and uh, i didn't i almost did oklahoma state texas is another one i didn't put down but that's another good one this weekend right i mean just for the mullet yeah just any any chance you get saturday morning he might beat texas he you watch they might beat texas i think texas is another one's overranked but what do i know just some guy in Medford. <laughs> uh, so that's five games. Uh, pretty much just I was going to put a bow on it with some recruiting stuff. It's right, been, a, been a good week of recruiting. Yeah. Yeah. We talked about this idea last year around the start of the Pac-12 schedule where recruiting really starts to ramp up. Yeah. We're getting there. We're getting there. It's warming up. Um, you know, so far the big, big, uh, big news, Braden Swinson. Visited Oregon officially this weekend, and uh, you know it was his final official visit. He does make his commitment Friday night after his homecoming game. I'm guessing it'll be around like seven, eight o'clock for for Pacific Coasters, um, for for West Coasters. So, anyways, that I think Oregon's in great shape there. I know they nailed the visit. Um, I know he's not a highly ranked guy, but he's you know he's six three, six four, two forty ish. Got measurables, got projectables. Um, just turned seventeen too. He's just a pup. I mean, he's he's a he's a very very young senior. Wow. If you're gonna take a flyer on a kid, one that's six four two forty and just turned seventeen, 
That's a good sign. It's not a bad flyer to take. He, he can grow in and yeah. get even bigger and better. Yeah. I mean, and again, you're talking about a kid from back east uh, out of Georgia. You know, those are the types of, of, of kids we've talked about that just don't grow out west. Their body types, their, their, uh, their physical attributes, you know, aren't often found uh, for kids that big. The other one was today posted a, an update earlier, and I won't get all of it out, but uh, uh, five-star linebacker Noah Sewell. Uh, has uh, has confirmed and told me in an article that he will be signing early and enrolling early at the school he chooses. So um, that's a big bit of news because originally he'd been talking about taking it all the way up to the original signing day. You know, he's going to take all five official visits. Uh, he visits Georgia this weekend officially for his first visit. Uh, he was at Oregon two weeks ago when both his brothers were playing Oregon versus Nevada. Right. Um, the whole family was there. We talked about that. That's in the update on the site. Um, that was a great story. But again, big news there that he's kind of escalated that timeline. Now you're looking at a December decision, not a February decision. So that's one of Oregon's top 2020 guys. I mean, regardless of position. And and this is just me, unintelligent. I do not know a lot about recruiting. I'd have to assume that's good for Oregon. Yeah. No, I, I, I mean, I, 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 that's what you want. You hate to have to battle for those five stars into January. What we've seen in recruiting in the past is the young men that don't sign in December, the the, the small, very small sliver group that's left, it is absolute sharks on fresh bait. I right. mean, it's just insane. Yeah. So, um, you know, I think that's something that you, uh, that you want to uh, – if you can get it wrapped up and not have to worry about it into January and focus on those last couple spots, I think that's a big win. If it is Oregon, it's a big win for Oregon. If it's somebody else, it's a big win for them. Yeah, no, he's legit. <laughs> no, he's legit, I, and I feel good about Oregon's chances as of today. I think Georgia will definitely be a player there. He's visiting this weekend, um, but he mentioned wanting to get back to Oregon again for an official visit. So that that's a, uh, you know, that's big news, really. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. All right, man. Well, that that hit every base. I think the Ducks beat Stanford. You think the Ducks beat Stanford? I do. And I don't think it's the drubbing that everybody's expecting. I think Stanford's going to be a little better than folks are giving them credit for. Yeah. Still think Oregon wins, though. And we'll find out on Saturday. Duck fans, if you like what you hear, rate us on on whatever site you use to listen to podcasts. That means uh, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts. I think it's on Stitcher as well. A lot of places where you can find us. Scoop Duck in Hi-Fi. Also, ScoopDuck.com. I read all of your wonderful, beautiful comments. And we thank you for listening. 